Abundance of love Abundance of grace Now to that cross You took my place Oh God You paid my ransom My ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. And perfect will of God. I want to preach and teach to you from the topic of seven ways to be transformed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we come together in corporate worship and praise and uh, that we come together to learn from your word. Lord, we ask that you open our minds, open our hearts, more importantly, God, and that you would speak into us and that you would, uh, that you would ingrain in us these, uh, uh, these seven ways, these seven principles uh, that we are going to talk about today. And, Lord, we ask that you just continue to work through us and in us and move through us to reach everyone around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so just by a, a quick show of hands, I know we got some visitors in the room, but uh, for those of you that uh, have been here at ALCF for a while, how many of you guys know what our ALCF mission is? Quick show of hands. Anybody? Anybody? One, two, three. Oh, okay. We got a few people. All right. We got a few people. Go ahead and put up uh, our, our mission. This is our ALCF mission here. It is to transform the world by the power of God's love. And what's interesting is that, you know, we have this great mission statement that is our goal, that is supposed to be leading us uh, to do something for the world. And, and in this particular case, it's to go out and transform the world, okay? But if I were to go just row by row and ask you individually what this means, most people wouldn't be able to give me uh, an answer in form of something that was tangible that we could be doing in order to transform the world, okay? And what I wanted to do today was just to, to talk about this topic of transformation um, and, and put it in a way that you guys can go out and really live this out. I mean, if this is what our mission is, then we need to understand not only what the mission is, but how we go about and achieve it, okay? So, uh, you know, it's interesting. One of my, uh, one of my, my favorite quotes of all time uh, is from Gandhi, and he said that you must be the change that you wish to see in the world, okay? And if you let that sink in and, and you try and apply it to what we see here, this is not so much about transforming the world so much as it is about transforming us and then us going out into the world and the world being transformed as a result of who we become, okay? So what I want to do is I want to take a look at what I would call the seven habits of highly effective Christians, okay? And I want to give you guys the, the, the seven disciplines that it's going to take in order for us to be transformed individually, in order for us to be transformed as a congregation, 
in order for us to be transformed enough for people in our inner circles to look at us and say, you know what, there's something different about him today. There's something different about her today. I want to give us these seven habits that we can use to go out and impact our community and impact the people on our job and impact ultimately the world. Okay? So let's take a look at the first one. Reading the Bible. All right, now th this is sort of a no-brainer uh, for the Christian uh, because you think about it and it's like, well, how is it that, uh, that God seeks to change us the most? And God seeks to change us the most by speaking directly into our lives. But we can't be, uh, we can't be moved, we can't be changed by something that we don't know. If there's something that we don't know about this word, guess what? We need to open this book, and we need to figure it out. We need to let God speak into us, all right? As a matter of fact, there's a command in the Bible, uh, and I'm going to show you in just a minute here, that there's a command in the Bible that speaks directly to this, and it comes out of the book of Joshua, all right? Uh, chapter 1, verse 8, when it says, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. So let me ask you this question. How many of y'all are actually prospering and succeeding in everything that you do? And the room fell silent. <laughs> I mean, really. This is a very simple command. This, this command was given to Joshua uh, shortly after Moses had passed away. And the transition of leadership went from Moses to Joshua. And God is speaking to Joshua, and he gives him the, these commands uh, with this conditional promise that's attached to it. All right? It says to study this book of instruction continually. It doesn't say to study it some of the time. It doesn't say to study it once a week, you know, once every hour. It doesn't specifically say it, but it does say that we need to study it continually, okay? So we need to be referring to this book every single day. We need to be referring to these messages every single opportunity that we get. If we don't know and understand what the will of God is for us, we need to be referring to this book. Plain and simple, we need to be referring to it, okay? Because that is the only way that we can then prosper and succeed in all that we do, okay? You know, and I, uh, I read an article uh, that, cited, uh, that cited a study that was done out of USC uh, a few years ago, and uh, it talked about the benefits of reading. And the study said that if you were to read six minutes a day, that there were certain benefits that you were most likely to get from it. And I just want to share a couple of those things with you this morning. Uh, one of the things that it, it talked about was increasing your vocabulary. It also talked about increasing your comprehension or your understanding of what you're reading. It also talked about increasing the retention of the, the information that you're learning, okay? And then 
one of the things that kind of stuck out to me that it, it talked about was decreasing the amount of stress that you have up to 68% just by reading six minutes a day. Six minutes a day. So I, I got to thinking, I'm like, all right. So if I can read an average book for six minutes a day and get these sort of effects from it, and these books, these average books don't have any power, what kind of results can I get from reading this book that has all the power in the universe in it in order to change us? What kind of impact would I get from reading this book six minutes a day? You know, and it, it, it's funny to me because there are people out there that struggle to read uh, even the proverb of the day. We, we, we talk about reading the proverb of the day pretty regularly. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, uh, that pastor uh, continually tries to get us to do. And there is a, a benefit to this that is totally in lockstep with this, okay? And, you know, you think about what would it take, or, or I'm sorry, not what would it take, but what would the impact on your life be over the next month if you took 30 days, you read six minutes a day, you read that proverb of the day, and then you meditated on it day and night, what would the transformation, what would the change be in your life? Well, I can tell you this, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It is based solely around the teaching, or not solely around, but uh, primarily around the teachings of Solomon. Okay, King Solomon, was, uh, as the Bible accounts it, was the wisest man that ever lived. Okay, and in his uh, in his uh, divine inspiration, okay, he wrote the proverbs for us that we read today. And imagine what would be the difference in not only your spiritual life but in your personal life if you were reading the proverb of the day every single day that you were taking maybe not six minutes but let's say ten minutes. You were reading through it, and then you were meditating on it over the course of the entire day. What would that do for you? How would that change your perspective? How would that change your interactions with people? Okay? You know, we have to, we have to make sure that we apply this particular discipline, if for nothing else, than the fact that it's a command. Okay? But it's not so much even that it's a command. It's a command that has a promise attached to it that says that we will prosper and succeed in all that we do. You know, I asked before jokingly about uh, how many of us are actually prospering and succeeding in everything that, that, uh, that we do, uh, but this is a real deal. Th this, uh, this particular topic is one that we can all use help in. Because what if you could prosper and succeed in half of what you do? What if you could prosper and succeed in three quarters of what you do? If I went around and I took a poll right now and I asked how much of your everyday life are you actually succeeding in? The numbers I feel would be fairly anemic. But God gives us the answer to this. He tells us that if we take the intention of studying this book continually and meditating on it, that we can reap this promise of 
prospering and succeeding in all that we do. So that's our first discipline. All right, so let's take a look at the second one. The second one is prayer. Prayer. So just like the first, prayer is, is, is very important to us. Why? Because we get a chance to honestly talk to God about what's going on in our lives. We get to talk to the creator and the master of the universe, the one who holds everything in his hands about what's going on in our lives. And we get a chance to be honest with him. I mean, let, let's be real. He knows what's going on in our hearts anyway. So why not just be honest with him and tell him what's on our mind. Tell him what we need. Tell him, you know what, God, I, I'm struggling with this uh, uh this particular person on my job, I need you to speak into my heart so that I have the grace, so that I have the mercy not to go ahead and rip their head off today, okay? I mean, y'all know people like that on your job. You know, I need that grace. I need that mercy so that I can do things in your will and in your purpose and not my will and just do me. Because it's real easy for us to do us. It's not real easy for us to do Jesus. Okay, so, you know, th this, uh, this practice of prayer uh, is one that is very important to us, okay? And um, let's take a look at, at Matthew uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Uh, Jesus is in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he is relaying this uh, to the people that he's speaking to, and he says this, When you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Verse 6 says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 7 says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So I don't know if you caught it or not, but I read for you four different lines of scripture. And in them, there was this one statement uh, that continually comes up. Go back to verse 5 for me, Mike. This first statement here, it says, when you pray. When you pray. This statement made by Jesus uh, assumes that we are praying. Okay? It doesn't say if you pray. No, it says when you pray. So he's assuming that Y'all are going to be praying at some point, okay? So he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. One of the things that I love about the way that Jesus taught was he didn't just teach in uh, ways that gave commands and promises, so to speak, but he also, uh, he also taught in a, or he also spoke in a way that gave us instructions on how to do things properly. Okay, and these verses talk about how we can, how we can pray, and how we can pray 
effectively. Okay? So it says here, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly in all street corners. Now, and in the synagogues. Now, you know, when we come together for worship services, for instance, yeah, we pray. I, I, I prayed a few minutes ago, uh, and this is not what it's talking about. This is talking about praying for your own glory rather than praying for the glory of God. This is talking about praying, seeking your own fulfillment, and this is not talking about praying to seek God. Because here's the deal. You can very easily, and I mean very easily, get wrapped up in praying for things that only serve you. Okay? And the problem is that, you know, there are some people out there praying with the intention that they're going to change God when it should be our intention that God changes us through those prayers. You know, we, we, we talk about how, you know, we struggle with certain things and we need to go to God in prayer about those things. And, you know, the, the person with that mindset that wants to change God wants God to change all these factors around them without changing them. When it's actually us that needs to change first. You know, we, we talk about the transformative power of prayer and um, one of the things that's, that's interesting to me is that usually when we go and, and when we pray for things, there is no instantaneous change, okay? What usually changes first is our perspective on the problems that we have, our perspective on how we need to treat people, our perspective on what God wants to do in our lives. That's what usually changes first. And then God starts to take that and then mold our situation around that, that change within us, okay? Uh, if we look at our, our opening text, it talks about how we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And uh, the word that is used in the Greek for, uh, for transformed is a, word called, uh, is a word pronounced metamorpho in the Greek. Okay? And we have a very similar word in English. Can anybody guess what that is? Metamorphosis. You got it right. Now, metamorphosis happens from within and then it manifests on the outside. So if we're asking God to change us through the power of his prayer, okay, then we are essentially asking God to change us first from the inside and then have that change manifest on the outside. Okay? So we can't be running around with this false assumption that just because we pray, we are molding God with our prayers. We're not. God is molding us with our prayers because if you pray the wrong thing long enough, you're going to realize that it's not happening because it's not the will of God. And then eventually what's going to happen is that your prayers are going to change because that change is going to start inside of you. And then your situation is going to change. Okay? So we need to be praying and we need to be praying the right way. Okay? So just think about this. You know, uh, you know I talked before about how uh, God can change us, or God usually changes us first. And one of the ways that that changes uh, is because usually when we have a, a, a big problem in our lives, we tend to focus on the problem 
more than we tend to focus on God. So essentially we make our problems really big and we make our God really small. And guess what? When we do that, our problems tend to eclipse God. Okay? Instead of making our God really big and our problems really small and then our God eclipsing our problems. Okay? This is the focus that we need to have when we go to God in prayer. Okay? That he is the greatest thing ever. Ever. Amen? And that the only way that things are going to change is that if he changes in us and then things start to change. Okay? That's the transformation that we need to be seeking God in prayer. Okay? All right. Let's move on to the third discipline. Fasting, fasting, fasting. How many of y'all fasted in the last mm, two months? Okay, we got a few people. How many of y'all fasted in the last month? Wrong. You've all done it. And I can tell you why. All right, so it, it, here's the definition of fasting. Fasting is sacrificing something that you value in order to draw closer to God. Now, this definition that I gave you is in a spiritual sense, okay? Not necessarily in a physical uh, sense, okay? So there are some people that look at fasting and they're like, yeah, I don't know if I could do the whole fasting thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I get hungry too much. You know, I, I like to eat. And Now, listen, <laughs> Fasting doesn't have to be that complicated, first of all, okay? But in Matthew uh, chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 16, this is what it says about fasting. And this is, again, Jesus talking. It says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they look, uh, they look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth that... <coughs> That is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, notice again, we talked about commands and promises before. Okay, so there's a couple of commands that are here. Uh, that are implicit. If we, if we go back to verse 16, okay, it says in that very first statement before the comma, it says, and when you fast. Again, this is assuming that you are fasting, okay? Jesus puts it out there plainly. You need to be fasting in order for this to be true, okay? Because it says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious. Again, he's given us the instructions on how to do it properly, Okay? We're not supposed to make a public display out of fasting so much as we are to make a private display of it to God, and we need to commit to God and say, you know what, God? Um, I want to go ahead and fast whatever. I, I want to fast television for the next week. Okay? And I want to take that time, and I want to dedicate it to you by praying, or I want to dedicate it to you by uh, reading my Bible, or I want to dedicate it to you by worshiping you. Okay? And what's interesting about this is, you know, there, there are certain people out there that don't understand this concept enough. And, you know, th 
I mean, let, let's be quite honest. Uh, this is so much of a command that, again, it's irrelevant whether or not you think you can do it or not, okay, because it's very clear. We need to be fasting, okay? But let me show you how this works. Uh, and to do it, I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you a, a really quick story, uh, give you guys a quick physics lesson. Um, so, you know, people talk about having, uh, you know, making this quantum leap in their lives, okay? And most people don't really understand what that means, okay? So, uh, basically, it, it means this. Uh, in the field of quantum physics, uh, they talk about particle acceleration, and, and they talk about moving particles from one, uh, from one point to another point instantaneously, okay? So, it, uh, this particle is over here, and then just like that, it's over here. There is no, you know, gradual movement from one place to another. It just jumps from one place to another. Okay, and here's the thing: most people, when they get saved, or you know, when we start talking about the change that's supposed to come about in their life, because now they're saved, you know, they feel like they need to make that quantum leap from here to here. You know, I'm going to go from being a uh, uh, dirty, disheveled. Uh, I'm going to go from being, you know, this whoremonger and sinner to, you know, just instantaneous being all holy. It doesn't happen like that for a lot of people. And quite honestly, you're never going to reach the point of perfection anyway because there was only one person that was perfect, and that was Jesus. Okay, so when we talk about this process of change, we need to understand that it is a gradual thing that we have to take step by step. And fasting is the same way, okay? So, you know, we talk about, uh, we do our corporate fast every year, and it's usually about two to three weeks, okay? And as a church, uh, we go into lockdown mode, and, and we say, you know what? The, we commit to sacrificing something of value, okay, in order to draw close to God. We come up here uh, seven nights a week, and we pray, we, we worship, and, you know, we, we commit that time to God, okay? But the truth of the matter is we don't have to do that in a three-week segment. We don't have to do it in a 40-day segment like the way that Jesus did it when he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and nights, okay? We don't have to do it that way. We can turn to God and we can say, you know what, God? You know, uh, I, I know the playoffs are on. So Y'all hear me, right? I know the playoffs are on, right? So, you know what? Today, instead of watching the playoff game, committing three hours to that, I'm going to turn my attention towards my Bible. I'm going to turn my attention towards praying, okay? And you can fast it just for that one day, okay? That can be your commitment to God, just making sure that you fast something every day in order to draw closer to God in that day, okay? It doesn't have to be a long overhaul commitment to, all right, for the next 60 days, I'm not going to watch any television, listen to the radio, touch anything electronic. Stop lying. Listen. <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. Commit to something that you can do today. Commit to something that you can fast for today to help you draw closer to God. Okay? Because God is, is faithful. And he said that if we would draw close to him, that he would draw close to us. But we have to make that commitment. So we have to say to ourselves, what am I going to fast today? And we have to get up with that intention and say, God, you know what? 
I know we haven't been as close as we should, and it's not for a lack of you trying. It's more for a lack of me listening and a lack of me having the intention to draw close to you. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to take I want to take that six minutes today and I want to make sure that I'm getting in your word. I want to take 10 minutes today and instead of or, or I want to take 20 minutes today and instead of watching my favorite television show, I'm going to take that time and pray. That's how we fast. That's how we do it daily. That's how we make that commitment and make it simple enough for us not to break it. Okay by chaining things together one day at a time. That's how we need to be doing that, okay? When we fast, okay? All right, so let's take a look at the next discipline here. Our fourth discipline, singing and listening to godly music. So uh, just by a quick show of hands, how many of you guys listen to the radio when you're in the car? Oh, we got a lot of people, that's fantastic. All right, so. When you're in the car listening to the radio, how many of you have it tuned to a radio station or have you know, your, uh, uh, your MP3 player or your CD player or whatever uh, playing some form of music that will draw you closer to God? Oh, that's fantastic. I love it. So I'm not going to delve into this one too much because Pastor actually preached on this particular topic uh, a few weeks ago, and he gave us the seven, uh, the seven words of praise uh, both from the New Testament and the Old Testament, uh, chronicling the, uh, the Hebrew and the Greek words uh, for praise and why we ought to do them. But I did want to impart with you one particular verse on this topic. And it is in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 11, and it says this. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. And watch this last part here. It says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. You see, this, this, whole, uh, this whole process of singing to God, it's very important. Uh, and whether or not you realize it or not, the words that we speak are very powerful. You know, just ask the last person that you cut down on social media uh, if those words are powerful, if it evoked a powerful emotion in them, okay? Or just ask the, the last person that you blessed by bringing a word of encouragement in their life, how much it blessed and lifted them up, okay? Our words are very, very, very powerful. But the problem is we use our mouth so much that we, quite honestly, don't realize it. We don't realize the power that we have in our speech or that the power that we have in song, okay? Because when we start singing to God, just like how we had praise and worship earlier, I saw people that were so into the worship. I saw people that were so into praise, had hands raised. They were singing loud, out of tune. I mean, some of y'all couldn't hold the note if it was right there in the middle of your palm. But listen. Here's the thing. When we come and we sing to God, here's the deal. We are singing to an audience of one. We are singing to an audience of one because here's the fact of the matter. God doesn't care if you sing in tune or out of tune. He just cares that you sing. 
and that you praise him. Okay? And here's the thing. It is, it, it's funny to me because it's, it's often a two-way street. Okay? So we talk about how we can bless God with the thankfulness in our heart by singing to him. But here's the deal. That, uh, that interaction often flows back on us, too. Because how many of you felt the encouragement, felt the energy level in here go up when we started singing and we really got into it? Okay? And the thing is that when we start to sing and we start to understand, well, let me back up a little bit. When we start to sing songs that are of a good theology, okay, and those words start to impact us because we are speaking those words out into existence and we are hearing ourselves and we're saying things like, God, we love you for being all who you are. And those things start to turn around and they start to impact us. We get elevated in our encouragement. We get elevated in our mindset. The troubles that we had when we walk in here start to slide off of us. And we can be who God has truly ordained us to be. Okay? Because here's the fact of the matter. We're going to go to heaven one day. If you call yourself a Christian, you're going to go to heaven one day, and you're going to be praising and worshiping God, and there ain't going to be no troubles. Okay? The only thing that's going to matter is if you are going to do it now and get a jump start on it. We can do that now. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven. Okay? And this is where we need to set our minds. When we talk about singing and listening to godly music, okay, I was, uh, uh, I had the, the honor and the privilege uh, to be at Food and Clothing a couple weeks ago, uh, or actually it's probably like a month ago now, uh, but anyways, um, you know, I'm there and I'm, I'm helping out and, uh, you know, I started singing, I, I had a, a couple of worship songs that were kind of heavy on my mind, and I'm singing and uh, next thing you know, there's other people that are singing, and it, it starts to grow virally, and it starts to become infectious. If there were people that were there that were singing that weren't even saved. Why? Because other people were singing and praising God. This is the impact that we can have when we do it, and it comes out of the right heart. You know, come back tonight, because we're going to be talking about the, uh, uh, the heart tonight uh, and the importance of what goes into it. Um, but we need to make sure that we are doing this. And we need to make sure that when we praise and when we sing to God and when we are listening, that we allow that to get in us. Okay? It is so important for us to allow that to get in us. All right. So l let's take a look at our fifth discipline. Listening to and verifying sound biblical teaching. All right, so why is this important? Um, well, one of the main reasons why we want to listen to and verify sound teaching is because it opens our eyes to spiritual truth, okay? And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, there's a lot of spiritual teaching that's going on out there today. Not all of it is good. Not all of it is, uh, uh, is worthy of being called godly teaching. Um, you know, and, and one, of the, one of the main reasons why, um, you know, when, 
my wife and I, when we came here uh, to Abundant Life initially, uh, you know, we knew pretty much from day one it was a wrap. Uh, there was no need to go anywhere else because we heard this. Okay, we listened to and we were able to verify that the teaching that was being taught was the real deal. Okay, and if we take a look over in the book of Acts, I, I'll point out to you a couple things about the importance of this. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bible says this, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And the Bible says in the second part of this verse, it says, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. You know, there's a, a, a verse uh, in the book of Hosea, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, my people perish for their lack of knowledge. My people perish for their lack of knowledge. And I think this is a big reason why you have so many people that are getting turned away from Christianity because there's so much false Christianity that's being taught in pulpits today that it doesn't match up with what the true word of God is. And part of the problem is that we are not, well, that people are not going back and they're not verifying what's being taught. Okay. And one of the, the lessons that we need to learn from this, okay, is that these Berean people, they were eager, okay, to listen to the message. And what's cool about that is they were hungry for the word. They were hungry for it. But they didn't just stop at just getting fed. They stopped and they said, you know, I'm going to go get dessert too because I'm going to verify what you're saying. Okay. So it is so important for us to make sure that I don't care who's up here teaching. I don't care if it's me, if it's Pastor Scott. I don't care if it's Deacon Jimmy. I don't care who it is. We need to make sure that if you hear something being preached on the radio, if you hear something being preached out of this pulpit, that you go back and you look at it for yourself. I want you to go back and look at it for yourself. I want you to go back and verify anything that I'm saying today, anything I've said in the past, anything that pastor has said today or in the past or whenever, and I want you to verify it for yourself. Okay? Because that's who we are supposed to be. I don't want you guys to be led astray by false doctrine. Okay? I want you guys to go forth with the understanding, okay, that comes from a godly understanding of this word. Okay? That's who we're called to be. And not for anything, if we did more of this and just this alone, this would be outstanding. This would, this would impact the Christian community so much, okay? But just sticking within the context of our conversation for today, we need to make sure that we're doing this for ourselves, okay? All right, let's take a look at our sixth discipline. Fellowship. Fellowship with other believers. And, you know, I, I should have amended this because when I went back and I, I was reviewing my notes this morning, um, something actually jumped out at me, um, and that this is not just about fellowship with other believers, but this is fellowship with people that are non-believers too. And I, I'll show you how this works here in just a minute. Uh, in Acts, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter two, verse uh, wait, 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 
y'all maybe miss, messed my message up. Um, so in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, verse 42, it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And what's interesting about this particular verse is that there are certain things that just kind of pop out to me in this verse. It, it says that some believers, no, wait a minute, it doesn't say that. It says all believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to learning from the spiritual leadership, okay? Not only did they devote themselves to learning from the spiritual leadership, but they also devoted themselves to fellowship. Let me ask this question. In the last two weeks, when's the last time that you broke bread with somebody else in this room? How many people have broken bread with somebody else in this room? How many had a meal, excuse me? Somebody else in this room. Okay, that's good. All right. Uh, in the last week, how many? Anybody? Okay. All right, that's good. So here's the problem, though. It says all believers. Only some of y'all raise your hands. All of us need to be devoted to this practice of fellowship with one another. And I'm going to show you in, 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 in just a minute how, just how impactful this can be. But it says that they were all, devo they were all devoted to the fellowship. They were also uh, devoted to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. I mean, we talked about the importance of prayer before. I'm, I'm not going uh, to go back down that, uh, that particular road. Uh, but if we drop down to verse 46 in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 2, it says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And then in verse 47, it says, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then this is the most impactful part of this. And this I cannot stress enough. It says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This right here is the kicker of it all. This is why we need to be in fellowship, not only with the believers, but also to be in fellowship with non-believers. Because guess what? When we are doing the other things that are on this list and people start seeing the impact that God has had on our lives, then we can start having an impact on their lives and people start getting saved. That is the most important thing. Okay? We need to be about getting people saved. And in order to do that, we need to be devoted to this practice of fellowship. We cannot call ourselves Christian and then cut ourselves out of society, okay? We cannot continue to move out of bad communities and into nice communities because we want to impact the good people over here. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. That's part of the reason why we have crime-ridden neighborhoods now because too many people are moving out of good neighborhoods that are good Christians instead of staying there and impacting their communities for Christ. And that's a problem. That is a systemic problem. Now, 
don't get me wrong. I, I don't want you guys to go out and sell your houses and everybody move in on the same, you know, dastardly block, uh, you know, on the west side of Jacksonville. And, and listen, I, I, I think that there is, I think that there is an importance uh, that we have uh, and a call that we have to serve in every community that we can impact, regardless of whether or not that means that we are here in this specific zip code or we live in a different one, okay? And we need to understand that. We need to respect the fact that God has given us a mission field and that we can impact Christ wherever we are. It doesn't matter if we're walking through a good neighborhood or a bad neighborhood. If the light of, shine, uh, if the light of Christ is shining through us, we are going to impact the people around us because this world is very dark if you hadn't noticed. And we need to be the light. We are called to be the light. Matthew 5.16 says to let your good works so shine that men would recognize them and recognize your father who art in heaven. We can't do that if we are not being the light or if we are not allowing his light to shine through us. Okay? That's who we need to be. And we can't do that unless we are fellowshipping with people and showing people the love of God. That's where we need to be. All right. Last, last and final uh, habit of highly effective Christians is this one here. We need to serve God by ministering to people. And a couple of points that I've made already today have kind of alluded to this fact. Um, but the Bible is very implicit about the fact that we need to be serving people. And we need to be ministering to particularly the, uh, the greatest demographic, which is the poor people. You know, if you, if you were to look at a, a diagram of uh, wealth distribution um, amongst all the people on the planet Earth, I can tell you it looks like a triangle. Very few wealthy people at the top, a ton of poor people at the bottom. Okay? Jesus once said that uh, we would always have the poor among us. And this is the demographic of people whom he tried to reach the most. And this is the demographic of people who, if we are going to use Jesus as our example, we need to try to reach the most. We need to do our best to serve God by ministering to other people. Not just the people in our house, not just the people on our block, not just the people in our circles, but everyone. And particularly those who are hurting in our communities. Uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, uh, verse 10, it says to love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Verse 11 says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Do you understand that we are called to serve everyone as if we are serving the Lord? What if we really took that to heart? What if we really said, you know what? Today, instead of going to work and just trying to do me and trying to plow through the day and, and get to the end of the work day so I can punch out, um, I'm going to take every opportunity that I have to serve and to minister to people. 
I'm going to take every opportunity that I have to speak words of encouragement into people. I'm going to take every opportunity that I have in order to love people the way that Jesus loved people. What if we did that? What if, what if we, uh, uh, we took every opportunity that we had to share the gospel of Jesus with people around us and then tell people about it later on, okay? So here, let, 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 let me make the distinction between the two because here's the fact of the matter. We have to live on purpose for Christ and we have to let our actions speak for us more than our words can speak for us because sometimes we allow our words to speak more for us than we let our actions to speak for us. And that's a problem. In 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 10, the Bible says this. God has given each of you from his great variety of spiritual, has given a gift to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. In verse 11, it says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and all the energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Can we really do that? Can we really, really, I mean, like, really do that? Can you do a personal inventory of all the gifts and the skills that God has blessed you with and sit there and say, how can I bless people with these today? That's how we glorify God when we're on our jobs. That's how we glorify God when we're talking to our children. That's how we glorify God in every circle of life that we walk in. That's how we do it. It's simple. It's a very, very simple thing. I didn't say it was easy to do. I just said it's a very simple principle. But can we do it? That's the big question. Because, uh, I mean, like I told you guys uh, the example from uh, uh, Food and Clothing a couple weeks ago, you know, I, I didn't realize how much uh, of a blessing it was going to be on me when I went and I served. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going there. Look, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to hand out some boxes of food. You know, I'm, I'm going to smile. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a blessing to people, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. All right. But here's the fact of the matter. When it came down to it and, you know, there were a bunch of us that were singing and that were praising God, and then it started to overflow to the people that were standing in line waiting for food. When I sat back and I really thought about it, I'm like, man, that was fantastic. That was great. We got a chance to bless people, but they blessed me more than I, I feel like I blessed them. I was just handing them a box of food and telling them, God bless you, please come back and visit us. But the fact of the matter is that act blessed me so much more than it blessed them. And I have to admit, I didn't realize it at first, but I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to be like, yeah, I need to do that again. I need to do that again. And the reason for that is because that's the way that God has designed it. God has designed us to serve him and to serve others. But we miss it because we're doing us. 
we miss it because, you know what, I, I don't know if I want to get up early on a Saturday morning. 10 o'clock's not really early, y'all. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get up early on a Saturday morning. Uh, you know what, I, I, I got that baseball game I was going to try to go to. L listen, we do food and clothing every single week. Okay, and I, I just particularly highlight this ministry because uh, it's one of the ministries that um, is really at the heart of our mission into this community. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to overemphasize it, but I will emphasize it by saying this. You know, um, Jesus said that, uh, you know, by us blessing the poor, we were actually blessing him. Okay. And we need to understand that if we are going to live for Christ and if we are going to live to please him, that we have to do the things that he did in order to reach the people that he wanted to reach. This is our calling. This is who we are supposed to be. This is who we need to be, regardless of the way that we feel. You know, if you were to ask me, uh, if you'd asked me four years ago before I got saved, uh, would I be standing on this stage in front of this pulpit today teaching? I would have told you you were out of your mind and go get off the medication that you're on right now because that's not me. But how many of you know that God has different plans for us than we have for ourselves? Uh, so do me a favor, Mike. Uh, bring, that bring that entire list up. These are the seven disciplines that we talked about today. Reading the Bible, praying, fasting, singing, listening to godly music, listening to and verifying sound and biblical teaching, fellowshipping with other believers, serving God by ministering to people. These are at the core of godly transformation. If you were to do these things and you were to develop these disciplines, can you imagine the amount of transformation that would come about in your life? Can you imagine that? Imagine that. It, it, think about this. I want to pose this question to you. What if every Christian that you knew read the Bible as much as you do? What if every Christian that you know prayed as much as you do? What if every Christian that you know fasted or sang to God or listened to, to biblical teaching and verified it? What if every Christian that you knew uh, uh, fellowship with other people and served God by ministering to other people the same way that you do? What would the state of the Christian world be like? Unfortunately, I don't think it would be improved if any of us were <clears throat> to have that as our testimony. If anybody were to use us as the blueprint for how to get this thing done, okay? And that's the problem. We don't do enough reading of the Bible. We don't pray enough. We don't fast enough in order to draw closer to God. We don't listen to enough biblical sound teaching and try to apply it. We don't 
do enough serving in food and clothing or other ministries here. We don't do all these things that can literally transform us and turn around and transform the world. We don't. And that's why we have the overrun of, uh, of, of ideologies, I'll say, okay, that has people killing Christians over in foreign nations blatantly, just running up on people and shooting them. I don't know how many of you heard about the, uh, the Coptic Christians that were massacred over in Egypt a few days ago. Uh, there was a busload, uh, there were a few busloads of Christians that were taking a trip out um, to visit a religious site and uh, there were armed militants that rode up on them and stopped the buses, pulled everybody off of the buses and then just started to shoot them. And these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We take so much for granted the religious freedoms that we have to come into a house of worship that is air conditioned where we sit down in padded chairs We take so much for granted the fact that we can speak our religious beliefs. The only religious beliefs that matter, by the way. We can openly do it without the fear of being mowed down for them. These Christians didn't have a choice. We need to take our calling serious. Because I can tell you that those that live by that ideology are taking their ideology seriously. And they are taking it to us every single day. And the problem is that our religious freedoms are being eroded here in this country too. And while they haven't reached the point where we have to, uh, uh, we have to hide our faith the way that they do over in China, don't live with the false assumption that that couldn't happen here. That couldn't happen in America, right? Oh, yeah, it could. It is happening, and it is being degraded every day right up under our noses, which is why we need to stand firm for this faith. I told you before that... Um, one of my favorite quotes was by Gandhi, and he said that we have to be the change that we wish to see in the world. If you look around the world right now, what kind of change do you want to see? I mean, be honest. It is a dark and nasty and violent world out there right now. And we have a calling, and we have a choice to make every single day. Are we going to live for Christ? Are we going to live by these principles and allow them to transform us? Or are we going to go along with the status quo that we've been doing? To me, I don't have that choice. I don't think we have that luxury. I think we owe it to God to live for him because he died for us, period. I, I, I speak so passionately about
about this uh, because I know that things can be better. I know that true transformation can come about because the Bible says so. And what I want every one of us to do uh, is to intentionally live by that same conviction because that's who we're called to be. So I've given you these principles and now as it is uh, my usual um, uh, my usual tradition uh, I'm going to give you the challenge. I want to challenge you. Read your Bible. I want to challenge you to pray. I want to challenge you to fast something of value to you in order to draw closer to God. I want to challenge you to sing out to God. I want to challenge you to listen to biblical teaching, even if it comes from, or especially if it comes from your own reading of the word. I want to challenge you to fellowship with your other believers and non-believers. Share your faith with them by the way that you live. I want to challenge you to serve God by ministering to other people, to serve in ministry. I want to challenge you to do those seven things because I know, I know that these things can transform not only us, but they can transform the people who are in our circles. They can transform our communities and they will transform the world. But you have to live by that conviction, Christian. You have to understand that and you have to apply it to your life. You know, I told you uh, uh, four years ago, I got saved. These disciplines were not mine. Far from it. And it took time and it took God progressively taking me through these things. And I still haven't gotten all these things right. But I'm working on them. I'm getting better at them. I'm asking God to change me. I'm asking God to do these things in my life. Because I know that's what he has called us to be. We have to, as a corporate church, develop that same mentality so that we can see this world change. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time of learning. We thank you so much for all that you do for us. Lord, we pray now and, and we just ask that you, that you convict us, that you break our hearts for these seven disciplines, that you open us up to doing these things faithfully so that we can give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do as a result. God, we know that true transformation doesn't come about unless it starts within us. So we are asking you, we are pleading with you, help us to be these things, to do these things. God, thank you so much for speaking into us. Thank you so much for trusting us with your word. Thank you so much for changing us with it. God, we pray today as we go forth that you would help us to be in memory of those who died for the faith. Mm. Help us to be in memory for those who died for this country because here's the fact of the matter. 
we understand that freedom is not free. God, we ask that you do these things in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.